Well, good morning, Elevation. Glad to be with you once again in this virtual space. For those of you who may be visiting, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here at Elevation. All right, well, what I just said is about a half-truth. I am glad to be with you in this virtual space, but the other half of that statement is that I actually really wish that you were here with me in this beautiful space. Uh, I feel like we got really close. We had a date set, we had a plan in place, and then all of a sudden the numbers, they crept up on us. And of course, you know, we wanna be responsible and be uh, respectful members of, of the broader community that we're a part of. And so we just felt like it was really best for us to wait a little longer. But I wanted to acknowledge this morning that we've been waiting a long time. It's been over eight months since we've gathered together in person as a church community. I mean, who would have seen this coming? I'll tell you who didn't see it coming was Leonard Sweet. Back in the spring, I picked up Leonard Sweet's new book, Rings of Fire, and it posed a question on the back of the book, what lies ahead for Christians in the world? And it's chapter after chapter trying to imagine different things that are shifting in our world and changing and how they would impact the church. And then right at the very end, there's this chapter that's like, okay, well, there are some crazy things that will never happen, but if they did, it would really shake the church. And one of the 18 items was pandemics. And I was like, oh, it's all right there. One little bullet point. Um, but of course, it's not easy to anticipate what the future has in store. Well, here we are in the final week of a series looking at the book of Revelation, where the Bible's final chapters are less about making predictions and more about drawing our attention to the horizon so we can learn how to live our lives in the present. Some of Jesus' final words in Revelation 22 are, look, I am coming soon. Melissa told the story in our neighbors group discussion last week as we were talking about heaven and stuff. And she told the story, I think she was probably around like 11 or 12 years old. At the time, her family was attending a Pentecostal church. And one of the things that are talk that's talked about a lot in a Pentecostal church is the idea of the rapture. So this is an understanding of Jesus' return that he kind of returns twice. He returns once and he, he kind of helps all of the faithful people escape from the earth. And then the earth goes through this terrible season. And then eventually he'll return again to really um, bring about all things new in the world. So this is something that the church would have talked about a lot. And there's just a lot of storytelling that goes along with this idea or this theory um, of what it would be like if all of a sudden a bunch of people just disappeared from the earth. What would it be like to be left behind? Um, and so she tells a story of when she was, uh, she kind of came home, maybe came home from school, and she goes into the kitchen and she sees like her mom's slippers there on the floor and a hot coffee on the counter. And she's calling out for her mom, but she's not answering. And the thought entered her mind, oh my goodness, Jesus has come and taken her and I've been left behind. Can you imagine just like the terror and she still can kind of feel it as she tells the story. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, a song, uh, I heard a song on the radio called Pray For Me by The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar. It was on the Black Panther soundtrack. And I heard something as I was driving and I had to like kind of double check when I got home, I looked up the lyrics because they actually sang about the rapture, this kind of return of Jesus to pull the church up into heaven. Um, in this song, they sing, rapture is coming. It's all prophecy. And uh, when I heard those lyrics, I was like, wow, this is bizarre. You don't usually hear things like this talked about in pop culture. And I was mentioning this around the dinner table. And I remember Jude saying that when he was younger, he thought whenever he heard the word rapture, that it was actually the word raptor, like a dinosaur. And so he said, I was confused and, and scared, like this idea of Jesus would be coming back with a raptor. And that would be a terrifying thing for like a little five-year-old boy to think that, that this vicious flesh-eating dinosaur and Jesus somehow have something to do with each other. Anyways, Eugene Peterson has this great piece of advice. He says, when Jesus promised his return, 
he did not intend to scare us out of our wits. I think that's something that we should keep in mind as we talk about these final words of Jesus this morning. Now, I don't think there's anyone watching this morning who is terrified about Jesus coming back with that flesh-eating dinosaur, but that doesn't mean that we can't be confused about our own understandings when it comes to what the future might have in store. A couple of years ago, actually, in what ended up being the last conference that I attended with our previous denominational family, uh, I was asked to do a presentation to a room full of pastors and theologians. I was part of a theological study group, and we were refreshing the denomination's statement of faith. And I was actually tasked with speaking about the refresh we wanted to do around eschatology or kind of the last events. And so I actually went back to my notes just uh, as I was preparing this week to read what I said. And there's one thing that I wanted to share with you as a bit of a maybe confession or an acknowledgement. I said to that room full of pastors, on our more honest days, we might be willing to admit that even we aren't exempt from the challenge of speaking clearly about how our world will reach its conclusion. And if we have questions, this room of pastors and theologians, then what about our congregations? What hope do they have of figuring all this out? I said this because I wanted to acknowledge that sometimes we speak with way too much certainty when it comes to how things will go in the future. It was actually interesting. Um, in the Bible that I use in my office here, uh, I was doing some studying, obviously, in the last book of Revelation. And I looked to the right, and I noticed that uh, right after the, the final verses of the Bible conclude, there's a table of weights and measures. It's just like an appendix there at the end of the Bible, because there are certain things that we come across, like what is an ephah, or how big is a cubit? And we want to know that. So if you're curious, you can kind of flip to this table, and it just tells you exactly how much that weight is or how long that measurement is. And I thought about how interesting this, this was, these two pages juxtaposed. One is table of weight and measures that has all these clear-cut definitions, and then the end of Revelation in which there's really nothing very clear-cut about it at all. I think it's important to remember that the more precise we try to be when we talk about the way things will end, the more likely we are to wander off track. There is a mystery uh, that is at the heart of any attempt to understand end time events. And maybe the best thing that we can do as a church is provide people a room to ask questions. But the one thing that we need to do, at least if we want to take Jesus seriously, is we need to talk about it. Because Jesus talked about it. In fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, as I was introducing Revelation and talking about these seven letters that Jesus wanted to have sent to the seven churches in that region, um, there are a few different quotes. I'll just pull a couple of them for you. Um, to the church in Theatira, hold on to what you have until I come. To the church in Sardis, I will come to you. To the church in Philadelphia, I am coming soon. And it's not just Revelation where Jesus talks about him coming again. In Matthew 26, after his arrest, when he was asked if he was the Messiah, Jesus said, you have said so, but I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He draws from this prophetic image of the Son of Man, of himself coming back to the earth. In the previous chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, there's actually a lot of imagery that Jesus uses to try to help his followers get an idea of what his return will be like. And there are two particular things I want to draw. After painting this, some, a picture of what it would be like, he says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In the following chapter, again, after painting a picture of what it will be like, he says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So Jesus' second coming is something that he referred to on numerous occasions, and it seems like the point was 
about this readiness or keeping watch. I think what we can definitely glean from all of these references, regardless of the specifics, is that Jesus did not disappear from the face of the earth, never to be seen again. He is seated at the right hand of God and, in his own words, one day will come again. Now, if Jesus' return, talk about his return, wasn't intended to scare us, why did he talk about this? Well, from Kendrick Lamar to Johnny Cash and his song, When the Man Comes Around. This is a song about Christ's return. And it goes like this. There's a man going round taking names and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. All right, and now back to my normal voice. Uh, there are certain elements of Jesus' teaching that are easier for us to swallow than others. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. An easy thing that Jesus teaches, uh, let the little children come to me. That's not a real problem for most of us. Most of us think that Jesus and children really go well together. It would have been problematic for his first audience, but not for us today, that's easy. Then there is like uh, the challenging elements of his teaching. Something like this from the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now that's a challenging piece of advice, of instruction from Jesus. Uh, it's not easy, um, but we can still kind of see value in it and say, okay, I get what he's after here, that he doesn't want us to kind of return this for that. Um, and so that's something that I will aspire to in my life. It seems like a good goal to chase after. But there's another category, one that doesn't get near as much attention uh, as the first two, at least, I can really only speak for, for our own church and my own teaching, and that would be a category that I might call unsettling teachings. There are things that Jesus said, and in some cases things that he did, that we really don't talk about a whole lot because they don't fit in to the, the picture of Jesus or the idea of Jesus that, that we're used to thinking about. And it's in this third category that this morning's reading belongs to. Look, Jesus said, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. Now, most people watching this morning would probably be comfortable taking advice from Jesus as a wise teacher. And that goes whether you would call yourself a Christian or not. Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That, that doesn't require you to have faith. It just says, you know, Jesus had a lot of good things to say. So most people can, would be comfortable with that. Now, a lot of people in our faith community, if you have made a commitment of faith, then you would be able to go further and you would be willing to be challenged by Jesus as the son of God, that he has actually some authority and some say in your life. But just how many of us would be comfortable with Jesus as the coming king who will judge each person on that day according to what they have done? Some of us have trouble with that, trouble picturing this Jesus uh, that we see in the stories that we hear also being the one who will return one day to judge between each individual person. Now, on the positive side of things, as Eugene Peterson observes, the expectation of Jesus coming provides a goal that shapes and unifies life. So if we know that he's coming, it can actually be a motivating factor for us. Uh, I had this, this thought, it's like uh, something I learned in driver's training many moons ago, which was that 
when you're driving, you should actually keep your vision like on the horizon, like pretty far out, because uh, that will actually help you navigate the wheel and navigate the vehicle easier. And so there's something about saying like, actually, if I look like really far out and realize how this whole world of ours will wrap up one day, that can actually help give shape to my life. Jesus' return then will fit quite nicely with a Jesus-shaped life, uh, but not so much with an otherwise-shaped life. These are Jesus' words in Revelation 22, starting at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. If we go back to the first week of this series, I asked you to kind of imagine, like, what's the picture of Jesus that comes to, to your mind? And then I talked about the vision that, that John saw, Jesus with this glowing white hair and the sword coming out of his mouth, and how there's this picture that, that of Jesus in Revelation is quite different than how we would actually picture him visually. But I think sometimes the same thing can apply to, to the teachings of Jesus. There, there are certain things that we would say, well, this is Jesus, what he was really all about. These are his top priorities. This is his main message. Um, but Revelation presents a slight twist on this. It's not different than what he taught, you know, prior to his death and resurrection, but it emphasizes something different. And judgment is a part of that message. The idea of judgment, it's difficult for us to swallow. But the truth is, I'm not primarily a motivational speaker. I, I do hope to motivate, um, but I have to actually go places that are uncomfortable because ultimately my job is about opening the pages of scripture in which God is revealed and allow us as a community to listen to the voice of the spirit speaking through those words and perhaps most specifically to the words of Jesus. Being difficult doesn't mean that we should ta stop talking about judgment altogether. I think that there's actually a way for us to talk about it that honors what scripture has to say, but doesn't make us pretend to say more than we actually know about. For example, there is no need for you and I to pass judgment prematurely. It's one of the gifts actually of these words of Jesus. Jesus will take care of the judgment. He will decide you know, who is in and out. He will decide um, on people's fate. We don't have to make those decisions. Uh, and that actually is something that's freeing. Uh, the other thing that, that uh, this is a, a presents a little bit of a gift for us is that there's not a need for us to try to describe in detail what that judgment will look like in the end. I mean, lots of people have down through the centuries. Artists have painted pictures, poets have written words, um, biblical scholars have tried to understand what judgment will look like and, and what the different destinations people will go to are all about, but we don't have to do any of that. That's not required of us. And I think actually, in order to accept what Jesus is saying about judgment, if we let go of those ideas and the details, it can actually be helpful as well. I expect that in many ways, Christ's judgment will resonate with humanity's own cry for justice. The suffering and the pain that we witness in the world, and in some cases experience firsthand, will one day be dealt with the just response of a loving God. We have no greater vision for justice than God does. Let's make that one thing clear. I guess my encouragement would be to hear, these last remind, to hear these last words of Jesus as a reminder that how we choose to live now will echo beyond the end of life as we know it. Pope Benedict writes that when man begins to see and to live from God's perspective, when he is a companion on Jesus' way, 
then he lives by new standards, and something of the reality to come is already present. When we think about these final words of Jesus and the way things, the way history will wind up, that can actually help give shape to our lives today. Now, in an interview with Billboard magazine uh, about this song that I quoted from earlier, Kendrick Lamar lamented, we're in the last days, man. I truly in my heart believe that. And I remember reading the article and thinking like, there was just so much fear and angst about this idea, this belief that, that the world is about to come to an end. Whether we are in the last days or not, Jesus' return is not something for us to be afraid of, but it's something that offers us hope. Now, over the last few weeks, my kids have been submitting their Christmas wish list. Sophia has one kind of pen on paper stuck to the front of the fridge. Jude has created a shared document that he updates whenever he finds something new. And Owen's approach has been to uh, send a message to the, our family group chat every time he comes up with an idea of something he'd like as a Christmas gift. Uh, so this past week, I thought it was interesting. Here I am studying the book of Revelation. And one of the things that he requested was um, this company, I believe it's called Alabaster, has come up with uh, these books books uh, of the Bible. So every different book in the Bible is a separate book that is kind of laid out like a magazine. So it's just like beautifully, uh, beautiful artistic layout and, and great photography. And then, you know, just little short snippets of paragraphs. And, and so the book of Revelation spreads over 156 pages. And, and I can imagine it would be a really meaningful way to read these words. But when I read the description of the book of Revelation, I thought, man, I want to share this. This is beautiful. It says the book of Revelation, an unveiling of hope that encourages all of God's people to remain faithful amidst suffering and tribulations. I thought that is about as perfect a description of what this book is about as I can imagine, an unveiling of hope. And I think that this is why Revelation ends with this theme and not with the images of heaven from last week. I mean, there's a part of me that thought that's how we should have ended this series with this vision of heaven and then we all kind of close in prayer. But a revelation doesn't end that way because that's not how our lives are supposed to go. Martin Buber says, all revelation is a calling and a mission. The idea wasn't for John to see some fantastical vision of what would happen one day. The most important part of this book of Revelation is actually calling us to follow Jesus here and now. Yes, that's where all of this is going, but how will you and I live in the meantime? That is the real question. Now, in the online version of the Bible that I use for study, uh, there's a heading in Revelation 22 that says, epilogue, invitation and warning. And I thought, yeah, that's fitting. That is a fitting way to end the book of Revelation. There is an invitation and a warning. And I thought, actually, it's kind of a fitting way to end the Bible as a whole. Because really the story of scripture from beginning to end is both an invitation and a warning, an invitation to partner with God by faith and a warning of what happens to us both now and later if we don't. The latter, this warning, can sometimes be louder than the former. And so I want to end this morning by talking about this invitation. Jesus says in Revelation 22:17, let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The little village of Alora is one of Melissa's favorite places to go. Sometimes she'll just go on her own. Sometimes we go together and sometimes she'll take the kids uh, for the day. And I remember one time years ago, I came across something on the sidewalk and I had to take a picture of it. It was fantastic. It's this little monument with a plaque. And basically it says this, this drinking fountain was erected by such and such families to honor all of the God-fearing men and women who built the foundations of the village of Alora. And then it has this verse from John chapter four, verse 13 and 14, the words of Jesus. 
Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I thought it was like a beautiful intention. The only problem is there's no drinking fountain there. Now, I assume that at some point in Alora's history, there was a drinking fountain there, but I can imagine like how annoyed this Bible verse makes people when they look and they say, but there is no water, right? But Jesus' promise of living water in John chapter four was no empty promise. And in this final passage of Revelation, Jesus reminds us that one day our quench for thirst, our thirst will be quenched for good. Let the one who is thirsty come. In a few minutes, we're going to share in communion together uh, from our different homes uh, across our city and beyond. Um, and we're going to share the communion elements during while a song is sung. It's actually a song that was recorded last week. Unfortunately, we had some audio difficulties. But as it turns out, it's actually perfect to use it again this week because it's a song that is written based on these words of Jesus and the words of Revelation 22. So we're going to sing that. And there is this invitation of Jesus, like, come to the fountain, uh, drink from this water of life. But then there's also in the chorus a response on our part where we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. The response to Jesus' invitation is to invite Jesus to come into our lives. In verse 17, the spirit and the bride, which is the church, say, come. And the one who hears say, come. So we invite Jesus to come one day into our world finally, but also to come into my life, to come into our lives, to come into the life of our church today, now. This is the last Sunday before we begin the season of Advent. And the season of Advent is traditionally understood as anticipating the arrival of Christ's birth at Christmas. And that is a big part of what we'll celebrate over the next few weeks. But it's also traditionally and historically a dual celebration. We anticipate Christ's arrival in Bethlehem, but we also remember that he is coming again. And so as we head into this season, I think it's fitting that we kind of blend from the end of Revelation into Advent as a reminder that we are not only remembering something that happened in the past, but we're anticipating something that will come, that Jesus will come again. And so hopefully you have some communion elements with you. And in, when the song begins, I'm going to invite you to share those elements um, together uh, virtually with the rest of our church community here this morning. On the other side of the song will be your formal dismissal to go off and hopefully join in your neighbor's group for some discussion. And if you're just joining us for the first time this morning, uh, we'd invite you to check the link in the comments and you can join in on a group this morning. So I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, familiar words, but pay attention because there's something in here that you may not have noticed before. So this is Paul writing to the church. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There it is again. The expectation of Christ's return baked right into the middle of this ceremony of remembrance. We will share these elements and celebrate Christ until he comes again. 
John concludes the book of Revelation by saying, he, he who testifies to these things, meaning Jesus, says, yes, I am coming soon. Those are the last recorded words of Jesus. And the response of John, the response of us as a church is amen, come Lord Jesus. Let us pray and then once the next song begins, I'll invite you to share those elements of communion together. Lord, I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have to gather in this way, perhaps not the ideal way for us to gather, but it's still a gift. And I pray that your spirit would remind us that we are the church. God, we are grateful that you are who you say you are. And sometimes when we come across things, it's easy, easy for us to adopt. And sometimes it's a challenge. But God, we take these words in scripture and I ask that you would help them to take root in our lives, that we would respond to your invitation to come to drink from this living water so that we would have the eternal life that you offer us. For each one of us, God, whether we're praying these words for the first time or the first time in a long time, God, I ask that you would respond, that you would accept us as we are and invite us into your family, into your kingdom, into your presence today. As we share these elements of communion, I pray that our remembrance would be a celebration and a reminder of our call to be faithful until you come again. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen.